You may be seated. Yeah, you may be seated. God, we thank you for your presence. Uh, we come here to worship you, God, to lift our hands in praise, to lift our eyes to the cross, uh, to be overwhelmed again by your beauty, your wonder, and your splendor. Uh, so we thank you, God, for being a present among our worship. And now, God, we pray you would teach us, uh, you would correct us, uh, you would prepare us to be the people that you need us to be uh, for the building of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. Uh, I want to welcome you. So glad you're here. If you have your Bibles and you're that kind, who have your phone, you can do that. Find the book of Philippians. That's where we're going to go, the book of Philippians. Uh, I just want to say a special greeting to those that are here for the very first time. Uh, I see a few folks that are back. Uh, every week, I see a few folks that are back. They've been out for, for the pandemic for various reasons and purpose, watching online. Uh, maybe you've had the vaccine, or maybe you got the actual virus, and you got the antibodies, whatever. So good to see all of you. I'd love to connect with you. And those that are online, I mean, like Chris said, it just blows my mind from Alaska and Indiana and Florida and even Oklahoma uh, and and even New York City, who could believe that? You know, would choose a little old Texas church to join us in worship. And we, we are humbled by that fact. And we just say thank you for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey. We are in the third week of a message series we're calling The Happy Life. And we're learning what the Bible has to say about joy. Now, in just a moment, we're going to practice being joyful. So I'm preparing you. Okay, we're going to practice being joyful. That means you are going to get to do the joyful thing right here, but, but not yet. Uh, a year ago, we cast a vision for this place we call Pathway Church. And if you're new here, you're going to learn something about us. And the vision was we wanted to facilitate a million and one aha moments. A million and one with focus on the one. And we defined an aha moment as when someone, for the first time, or the first time in a very long time, experiences the love and grace, the same healing, tremendous, overwhelming love and grace of Jesus Christ in such a way, they just stop and go, oh, wow, aha, wow, I, I never thought about it. I never experienced God that way. I never knew that. And it, it just kind of opens their eyes to the new possibilities of God being at the center of their lives. We call that an aha moment. Now, we, we all focus on the scripture from Luke chapter 15, verse 7. Uh, and this great, all these chapters about these things that were lost. And it said, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents than 99 righteous folks who don't need to repent. That, it was all about the one more. Now, we, we're having a hard time measuring a million and one. But we're having no problems measuring the one. And I will tell you, when I look back in the past year, there have been lots of ones. And I, I just come here this morning to get, give thanks to God and for us all to celebrate the number of people in the past, since the pandemic, that have gone through our mobile food pantry that you have provided. I've had the privilege of walking down the line of cars who've walked, drove into your parking lot and looked into their eyes as they received food, like manna from heaven from you. And they just kind of opened their eyes like, oh my gosh, God's love, God's grace, God's goodness. I've never experienced, kind of aha, I've never experienced it like that before. The number of people that, that have joined us online that have been turned off church, that just kind of walked away from church, said I would never be in a church again, much less worship on this something called online, that somehow through the miracle of technology, even through the pandemic, uh, you, you stumbled upon this place and your eyes have been opened to a new experience of the love of God through Jesus Christ. Aha, ha, ha. And this past year, actually in this building, on this site, 
144 different people. We can count them one at a time. 144 have stood up here at this altar or in the other altar and said, I want this to be my church home because I've experienced the love of God here in ways I've never had been before. 16 kids have been dedicated or baptized, and 31 adults have professed their faith in Jesus Christ having me baptized. And God, that's a reminder that our God is still in the sin-forgiving, life-saving, people-redeeming business. And if there's one, one that repents, it says in heaven there is rejoicing. So if there's rejoicing in heaven... Don't you think there ought to be a little rejoicing in here? Can we do a little rejoicing that all that God is doing in this place? Now, I will tell you, in this church, we have a staff value. It's called Pursuing Excellence. And on the joy meter, that was about right here. And the meter goes all the way up to here. So I want to hear you really practice. I want to hear some rejoicing all online and in the house. I mean, tell you, I want to hear some rejoicing. Thanks be to God for what he is doing in this place. Yeah. Yeah, so God, we, we pray again, God, we do not take for granted of how this church is flourishing in these times of need and times of pandemic and times of crisis, God. Uh, we, we do not take for granted, God, the miracle of lives being turned and changed and marriages being saved and healed and addicts getting off the streets from, from this, this horrible thing that just plagued their soul, God, and just gripped them and controlled them in a prison, God. We do not take for granted, God, that one little child where a mom and a dad decided to say, I'm going to raise them in a home where they know the love of God in their life and just going to make sure they, they see me read the scriptures and they see me pray and they grow up with a different perspective of life. God, we don't take for granted you allowing us to be a part of you building your kingdom and manna from heaven in the hands of people who are hungry who don't now have a job because of COVID and the pandemic and all just the stresses and strains of life. God, and we do not take for granted the privilege and the honor of being a part of a sacred ceremony called a memorial or a funeral for all those one mores who have died, God, over the past year because of the pandemic and other causes to be with you, that you would use us to minister unto these families. We give you thanks and praise, God, for who you are. And what you are doing in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're talking about joy, what the Bible has to say about joy. And it has a whole lot to say about it. It really does. In fact, it commands us to be joyful. It doesn't ask us. We're actually told to be joyful. Uh, A few verses here. Uh, Philippians 3, verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I mean, I'm not suggesting, I'm not asking you, just do it. Rejoice in the Lord. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 4 of of, of Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. And then over in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, it just says it very quickly. Rejoice always. Just do it. And then you read down a few more verses. It says, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus to rejoice. Now, sometimes I imagine some of you wake up in the morning and you go, you know what? I really just don't feel like rejoicing today. Ever woke up like that? You know, I just don't have a lot of rejoicing. I'm not feeling very happy. I'm just, I'm just not ready to rejoice. And let's say you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Whether you're online, you're at true work, you're in the sanctuary, in the ark, whatever, you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Before I even address you, I want to say to those who aren't a believer in Jesus Christ, thank you for joining us. Whether it's under coercion, 
uh, whether it was bribery, uh, whether it was breaking your arm, whatever, or maybe you're coming, you're resting, you're struggling with questions. You're welcome here. I don't want you to feel excluded, to feel an anomaly, like you don't fit in. You're welcome here to come and to wrestle and to struggle and to ask and question. You, you can do all that here, and it's safe. It's okay to do that. But to those who already said, you know what, I believe in Jesus Christ. He is my Savior, Lord. And you wake up in the morning and you go, man, I just don't feel like rejoicing. Let me give you a way to think to help you get your day started a little off better, okay? I'm going to encourage you to think like this. And I'm going to pretend like I'm you. Well, huh, I wake up this morning and go, you know what, Jesus left heaven and came to earth for me. He became human like me so I could see what God was like. And he showed me what God was like. He walked on this earth and showed me how to live. He taught me how to love, right? I mean, he showed me how to endure suffering and how to endure trials and surprises in my life with, with poise and with courage and with confidence. He showed me all that. And not only that, he died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. God raised him from the dead on the third day, defeated my death. So when I'm dying, I know that's not the end. That's not, I'm not done. He has adopted me into his family. The Bible says he calls me his friend. He has given me the gift of his Holy Spirit. I have his presence in my life right now in this very second. He's taken his word, his promises, and allowed it to be in a book called the Bible where I actually read the promises straight from his mouth in this book to me, and I can read it every morning for 5, 10, or 15 minutes every day. When I get going, it's going to give me guidance for living my life. I, I have a purpose in my life that will stay with me for this whole life, and nobody can take it away. I have an identity the culture can't take, the culture can't shame. It can't tarnish it. I have a hope, not just for this life, but in the life to come that nobody can take away from me. Now, church, if you wake up that way in the morning, I'm going to tell you, you're going to have a little rejoicing. Oh, I just can't believe this morning. I got to get up. I got to go to work. I got to do this. I got to do that. Woe is me. So sorry. And you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ. But wait, there's more, as they say on the old infomercial. There's more reasons that you have to be joyful. First thing in your, there in your message notes, the Bible commands me to be joyful as a gift to others. In other words, it's not about you. When you wake up in the morning and you have a joy in your spirit, stuff rubs off. We talk about that around here. Stuff rubs off. Good stuff rubs off and bad stuff rubs off. And your joy is a gift to everybody around you. We all have people in our life that when they walk into the room, they walk into the office, they walk into your house, they walk into your gym, they just walk in, all of a sudden things get a little bit better, right? Because their joy is like a gift that just kind of rubs off on everybody else. Then there's that person. They always walk in. They got a scowl on their face. They're always negative. They're always critical. They're always picking. They're always pointing out everything that is wrong. They're always just down on everything in the world. Just tick, 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 and the mood just goes zoom. Which one are you? Who do you want to have when you are a Christian? You have a joy that within you that just kind of rubs off on everybody. It is your gift to the world sometimes, your joy. It's your gift. 
unlike what Eddie used to think, not jelly is the gift that keeps on giving. Joy is the gift that keeps on giving. My dad used to wake me and my sisters up early in the morning singing. I mean, I had three younger sisters, and we're, we're in bed. Who wants to get up and go to school? Nobody. My dad said, good morning, good morning. It's going to be a good morning. I said, Dad. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Dad, you're irritating the dog out of us. Just be quiet. Anybody have parents that did anything like that? Well, you know what happened? When Dad came in singing, we knew it was going to be a good day. Because joy rubs off. It rubs off on the whole family. That's just what joy does. It's contagious. It just spreads. A couple of nights ago, my mom called me and asked me to come down. I want to say hello to my mom and dad. I know they're in worship with us right now at home um, to help her get my dad in bed. For those of you who don't know, my dad is 90. He fell, almost 91, fell and broke his hip on New Year's Day. Uh, got a little dementia going. The pain medicine, the anesthesia kind of exaggerated all that anesthesia stuff, and his, his, his dementia. So even though his leg is healed, he really can't stand up by himself, kind of dead weight. My mom can't lift him up and get him over into bed and whatever, and the caregiver wasn't able to come. Say, hey, would you come help? I said, sure, I'll be there. So I got there, and we, we did our thing, and it took a while to get my dad in bed, got him all situated and everything. And, and man, it was painful for him, you know, just uncomfortable having somebody have to lift you and to move you around, just your body and just so tender, and your body aches and everything like that. So he's kind of moaning and kind of feeling uncomfortable and everything like that. And I would get him all situated, put the blankets on him, and uh, my mother turns on some music. And she leaves the room, and she tells me the name of the song, but she didn't have to tell me, because my dad, all of a sudden, when the music comes on, he kind of starts singing a little bit with the song, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. You have no idea what that did for my soul. That in that moment, at almost 90, 91, laying in the bed, having to have his own son and his, his wife get him ready for bed and get him in that position that all of a sudden, in the midst of his pain and his suffering, he could sing nothing but the blood of Jesus. And it resonated a joy that helped heal my soul in that moment. See, there's something that happens about someone who's truly a believer in Jesus Christ who stands upon their faith in the darkest of dark and the hardest of heart, and they sing from the depth of their soul what they believe to be true. It's a joy that's contagious. I cannot tell you the number of times that families have come into our office to prepare for a funeral, a memorial, and what a humble honor it is for us to help host those kind of conversations. And so often they come in and they're telling these stories and they're crying, they're weeping, and they're just struggling. And all of a sudden somebody will tell a story of joy about the deceased, about their loved one. They tell a story and all of a sudden people start laughing and just laughing almost to the point of tears. And it's so healing. And it just kind of spreads among everybody. See, that's what joy does. Nehemiah 8, the, the passage of Scripture that Chris referred to a while ago. It says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. But on the front end, it says, do not grieve today. Today is holy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Even when I grieve, even when it is hard, and it's my gift to others, and it just multiplies I'm just going to ask you, when you go to work, when you go to work, your work, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, how you do your work is part of your witness. 
And if you show up your work with just a sour, regretful, angry, just kind of beat up, I can't believe, man, that is your witness. But if you come into work and you have the joy of the Lord as your strength, even in that, it will spread and the performance of everybody will go up. It will, I promise you, because one person allows the joy of the Lord to be their strength. Here at Pathway, we have staff values. We have five staff values. We hire people to work according to our staff values. If they don't fit into those values, if they, we, we, we will consider not hiring them because they won't stay here very long. And one of our staff values is having fun. That's it. It's, that's one of our staff values. And so here, this past summer, I'm having a meeting in my office back in August with some community leaders, uh, hospitals, school districts, city leaders, and we're just having a conversation about COVID and timing and navigating and opening, doing that, that sort of pretty, pretty heavy meeting in my office. We're all being physical distancing, have masks on and everything. And we took a little break. It was getting kind of heavy, the conversation. They begin to leave, and somebody looks at my, my, uh, my shelves there and sees all my baseballs and all my photos, and they say, who's that right there? And they showed, this is the photo they were, they were looking at. And I thought, I've never seen that photo on that shelf before. That's Chris Bohan. Chris Bohan snuck in my office and put that picture there like he's a member of my family. <laughs> like he's one of my sons. And it had been there for a long time, and I didn't even know it. And I thought, that gummy you, Chris. And so I didn't take it down. I just left it there. So every time he comes in, he sees he actually used to have hair, and now he doesn't. And that, I saw, so, so, but, but why did Chris do that? He was just having fun. And it brought joy to the whole situation. Second reason I would say there, the Bible commands. The Bible commands me to be joyful because people far from God are watching me. I make you a promise. When you dare to say you're a Christian, you wear the cross, you wear the tattoo, you wear the t-shirt, you carry your Bible around. You are setting yourself up to be watched. They're watching you. And we live in a world now where there's so much scrutiny of what it means and looks like to be a Christian. And if you're one of these people who walks around angry and mad and bitter and upset all the time, and you got that look on your face like you just ate a lemon and garlic all at the same time, you think they're going to be interested in being a Christian? I promise you, they're thinking, man, there's something, they got something up their saddle. They got something stuck up them, man, making them walk, walk, walk on them. Or if that's what it's like to be a Christian, I don't think I want to be a part of it. We will never accomplish the mission. God will not be able to use you unless you are real in your sorrow and real in your joy. And really when the two of them collide, for people to see how you manage your life in hard times and challenging times with a spirit of joy within you. And I will tell you, there are sometimes I see some of you, I just want to take a picture of you and text it to you to say, do you know what you look like right now? <laughs> I'm not seeing much joy. So let's practice a little bit. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart today. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart, down in my heart. I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. Can we have some smiles out there a little bit? Come on. 
The joy of the Lord is my strength. And people are watching. What are they seeing you? Now, for the rest of this time here that we have, I want to teach you the secret of why Christians, how they learn to truly be joyful. And we're going to look here at the text here in chapter 2. And I'm going to try to walk you through this in such a way you really kind of know the power of the happy life of being a Christian and what it means to be a disciple. And I'm hoping as I explain the, these words to you in the context of this, you, it's going to open your eyes to a deeper understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. Now, before I read these words and you learn the secret, and you're not going to find this in a podcast or any sort of psychology help book. It's only in this book, God's Word, can you find this truth. I want you to hear about the culture in which this truth is talked about. First of all, let me read the opening statement. Just read the opening statement, and then we're going to kind of expand on this. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have received any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness, any compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value other people above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Now stop right there. These words right here would have turned upside down the Roman ears and the Philippine ears who heard it. These are game-changing words. And the next words that come, they're even more powerful because it's going to talk about Jesus. You cannot even understand this next part that I'm going to read to you without understanding the culture in which this was written. So I'm going to take a moment to give you a backdrop of the culture, of the context of what's going on. A little Bible teaching class here for a moment before we read the words. Because I want you to understand our culture and why the culture that you and I live in right today, how it so conflicts with being a Christian. And why it's so hard to be a follower of Jesus and how it's even harder to be a disciple of Jesus. And before you leave here, I hope you know a secret that you maybe never learned before that has that's buried in God's Word, and you're going to make a decision about really what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So here's the culture. This is going to Philippi, a Roman colony. And in the Roman culture, it's all about status and social recognition. Their whole culture was about status and, and social recognition. They believe that you're, you're always trying to pursue honor. That's the goal. You're, ch you're chasing honor. They, call some, they even have something called the race for honor. And they believe that your life publicly, you're going to receive honor or you're going to receive shame. Your family, based on you, how you live your life in the society, is either going to honor your family or shame your family. Now, Cicero put it this way right here. Can we see what Cicero said? He said, we yearn and we hunger for honor. And once we have glimpsed honor, there is nothing we are not prepared to bear and suffer in order to secure it. That's part of the Roman culture. That's the backdrop. And then we have this phrase, this is what happens. This is a secret of happiness in Philippi. They believe, if I'm going to be happy, I've got to advance myself. I've got to promote myself. I've got to serve myself. 
Okay? Now, that's, that, that is part of the context and where these words were written. Now, I'm going to take it another step further. For you to understand what we're going to read here in a second, I've got to paint a quick high-level picture for you for the race for honor. What the race for honor, because I have that in your message notes. You see that. If you have your notes, we're going to put it on the screen or on the app, race for honor. Because here's what the race for honor is about. They divided their culture into these categories and these groups of people. You had the elites and you had the non-elites. And in the elite and the non and the non-elite and the elite, they have all these different categories that describes what you're gonna pursue in your life to receive honor and how much honor you get. And that's what's going on here in the culture. So let's do the race for honor real quick. Let's, let's lay out the categories. The first category is slaves. That's at the very bottom of the ladder, the slave. A slave is someone who had no honor. They had zero status. They had zero control over their life. All they could do is what someone told them to do. They could be killed, beaten, or humiliated. They had no rights, no legal rights whatsoever. The second category would be the freedmen. The freedmen were people who were no longer, they had bought their, they had bought their freedom. Uh, they were servants usually of the wealthy, but they did have some rights. The next one up is the Roman citizen. The Roman citizen, uh, they had a few more rights in Philippine. But in Philippi, there weren't many Roman citizens, but they did have some rights. Above the Roman citizens, you have the equestrians. Now we're going into the elite category, the 2%. Three categories made up 2% of the whole population into which this letter was read. And they had just enough money to buy a horse. That's why they were called the equestrians. And with honor, they could go into battle. Because if you fought on a horse, you had more status and more honor to fight on a horse than fight on the ground. Then for the smallest group is the Roman Senate. This is the smallest group in the group of the elites. And then the highest position and, and the latter of all was the emperor, who eventually all of them become known as Caesar. Now, this is the race for honor. And your goal is, in your life, to get honor from the community. is to, to see you climbing, getting higher, higher, higher in social recognition and status. Now, the entire system of their society, their civilization, existed to keep this race for honor, to define it, and to motivate people to want to climb and to go higher. That was the entire system. I'm going to give you four areas of definition that they use to help define their status and their honor and to motivate people to see uh, what is going on. The first one is the clothes they wore. If you were a freedman, to distinguish yourself from a slave, you got a cap. You got a special cap, and you would wear this cap. You'd wear the clothes of a slave's, but you'd wear the cap to say, hey, I'm a rung up. I have higher status than a slave. I'm not really a slave anymore. If you were a Roman citizen, you got a toga. Now, when you and I think of toga, we think of animal house, right? You just think party. They didn't think party. They thought honor to wear a toga which was uncomfortable to keep on. It was a challenge to get on right, but they, it was honor. I'm going to wear my toga. It was a symbol. I was belong. I was higher on the pecking order. The next one is the equestrians. And if you are an, isn't that right? Yeah, if you're an equestrian, you got a gold ring. So I got the toga and I get a gold ring. So I'm even higher in status. But if I'm in the Senate, I get the toga, and I get the gold ring, and I get a purple stripe. And if you're a purple stripe on your toga, you're the coolest of the cool. Now, in the book of James, it talks about 
Do not give special privilege to people who are wealthy, who wear nice clothes and have gold and silver. This is exactly what James was addressing, what I just described to you. That's exactly what he's talking about in the culture. And then the emperor, he can wear whatever he wants because he's the dude, right? He can he just wear whatever. The second category I would describe to you is legal rights. If you're a Roman citizen, you had legal rights, you could not be flogged. Everybody above you and the citizen, they could not be flogged. If you were below, you could be flogged. Anytime, whatever reason, they could just flog you. That is why when Paul is in Philippi and they flog him and they find out he's a Roman citizen, they panic. Because they violated his rights, like violated our Constitution. But in their system of legal rights, no one was equal under the law. There was no equality under the law. There was, everybody was treated the same way. No, 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 no. No. The slaves and the freedmen, they could be beaten. They could be flogged. They could be punished however they wanted to. And slaves reserved the lowest of the low. The Romans were masters of capital punishment. They had many ways of capital punishment, but the most famous was on the cross called crucifixion. The original purpose of crucifixion, they called it the punishment of a slave. Before Jesus was ever crucified on the cross, the cross was known as the punishment for a slave. So the legal system was to keep the caste system in place. The third area is seating at public events. And the way to explain this is like you go get on a plane. Many of you here, you're, you, you used to travel a whole lot, you go get on a plane. I mean, if you sit in first class, you know your status is high. You got high status, first class. Because they got this little curtain called the Holy of Holies that keeps all the riffraff out. And you get all the food, and you get served on hand and foot and the warm little nuts and all that sort of stuff. And the people back there, they got nothing. They can't even peek in. They try to keep the curtains velcroed together. So you, so you got status. And, man, you love your status over those that are in the back, the, the odds and ends and candies and nuts and all that sort of thing like that. Right? And, and when you fly a lot, they give you a status. Maybe you're gold, maybe you're silver, may, maybe you're platinum, maybe you're diamond. And they give you that status. This is your status as a flyer. And they want you to hunger to motivate you to climb in status because the higher in status, the more perks and the more privileges you get. And they kind of inspire you to do that, right? Uh, they got to a point uh, where they used to on one of the airlines, they would roll out the red carpet if you were going to go sit on, on first class. And the first class people would walk out on the red carpet. When you and I would walk on, they would roll the little red carpet up and say, you just walk in on the regular carpet. You got no status. Shame on you. Shame on you. You should have higher, you should be a diamond. You should be higher up. And then we'd give you the first class treatment, kind of shaming you a little bit, right? They're trying to motivate you to get to want more. In fact, if you've got a high, high status, you get to board the plane first. Where you're a lower status person, you watch all those people heavy. Man, they're higher in status. They're getting a little. I got to watch all the great people, the famous, the important people. They get to, and I'm just way back here and everything like that. I don't have status. They have a monitor up there at, at the gate, right? It's called the upgrade monitor. You want to upgrade? You go, hey, I like to upgrade. Okay, we'll put you on the list. So they have this list up there. You see all these names. You see the people ahead of you. You see the people below you. They call out your status. You can measure yourself by looking at the monitor where your status is. A lot of people ahead of you, you may not get on. If you're high on the board, maybe you will. All about status. Here's what I know. I've never seen anyone who's getting on a plane go, uh, could I downgrade from first class to coach? 
would you please, 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 let me sit back there. Let me downgrade. I've never seen that. In the Roman culture, they sat you at the theater in an athletic event based not on your ticket price, but on your status. If you were Caesar, you sat in the very front. If you were the Senate, you sat right around Caesar. If you were the equestrians, you sat back here. And if you were a, a freedman and you actually got as a slave, you're sitting at the very top or you're on the outside looking in. You lost just because of your status. The other thing is about succeeding. It's the last category, succeeding. When you succeed, you succeed publicly. See, the amount of honor you receive is based on the other honor that people give to you because of your status. And it's public. It's not private. It's very public. Everybody knows your status. You want everybody to know. And your goal is to climb, people to see you publicly climb these different levels. Now, very rarely would someone climb higher. But in your own little situation, your own little status, you could climb within that, different offices. And the person who gave you the honor of elevating you, you got their honor. So the only honor you received was equal to the one who elevated you to the next level. That was your honor. And it was done public, and everybody knew about it. No one, no one humbled themselves to go lower. No one. It was shameful. And doing this research, I saw an airline who had put out this article to all of you who fly all the time. It says on March 1st, they're going to realign your status and whatever you want. You don't want to fall in status because if you don't have enough points, you don't have enough of this, you're going to lose your status. you got to avoid that at all costs. It would be so embarrassing for you to lose your status. And in the Roman Empire in Philippians, man, you want to avoid falling down. You don't, don't, don't go down. In this context, we have these words. Listen. Verse 5, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Now, this is loaded. This language is loaded. It says, who being in very nature God, they knew in very nature God, they knew that was from the Old Testament, that it talks about the glory and the splendor of God, that God is way up here at the top. Jesus, who did not consider the status of God, equality with God, as something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't use it for to advance himself, but for the benefit of other people. I want to read that again to you. Let it sink in. In your relationships with one another, had the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage, but he made himself nothing. He went down the ladder by taking the very nature of a servant. He's not wearing a toga. He's not wearing a cap. He has no gold rings. He has no purple stripe. He is a slave. He made himself Lord of all to servant of all. He emptied himself and became nothing. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Nobody in the Roman Empire humbled themselves. Somebody else might humble you. 
They might take away your status, but you don't do it to yourself. Nobody does that. Only losers do that. He humbled himself and became obedient. That word obedient was a catchword. A Roman, you never made, you never were obedient to somebody else. That made you weak. Kids are obedient. Romans are not obedient. And obedient to death, even death on a what? A cross? You mean what was reserved for the death of slaves? The lowest of lows, the scummiest of the scum? You humbled yourself? That's a loser script. Nobody does that. The past couple of weeks we've been asking, what do you want? You want the happy life or you want the meaningful life? Jesus chose the meaningful life. It goes on. Therefore, therefore God, Jesus has been doing stuff, therefore God exalted him to the highest place. Therefore, God took the one who was above Caesar, who lowered himself way below even the slaves, and God said, I'm going to lift him up. It's not a loser's script. This is a winner's script, and I'm going to give him the name that is above every name. And it's going to get very public. Everybody's going to know. Because at the name of Jesus... Every single now is going to, every knee is going to bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue is going to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's saying it's going to get public. Honor is only honor if everybody knows. Hey, everybody's going to know because every knee on earth, in heaven, and under the earth is going to bend. And every mouth in heaven, on earth, and under the earth is going to confess that Jesus Christ, the one who was greater than all, who became the slave of all, is now Lord of all. And it's public. Everybody is going to know. Here's the secret that anyone who truly is a follower of Jesus Christ has discovered in your notes. The secret of a happy, joy-filled life is not the advancement of self, but it's the death to self. And the same Jesus who showed up back then is showing up right now in history. And here's what he's saying. Here's his recruitment. Here's how he's building his kingdom. Hey, I want you. You want to follow me? Take up your cross. And die to yourself. Don't use your life for your advantage to lift you up, but to lift others up. Die to yourself. Die to your sin. Die to your pride. Die to your ego. Die to your life of making it all about you and your situation being just what you want. Die to all that. Die to your sinful, idle, worshiping, fearful, petty, small-minded, me-first, ladder-climbing self. Die to that. And let the one who designed you and created you, let the real you live. The real you, the real you that God designed and made you to be. Let that part live. That's the secret. 
to die to yourself, not to indulge yourself, not to indulge and make yourself happy by doing all this stuff on the outside. You die to that. And he lifts you up and gives you a joy you've never known before. And Paul's not asking you to do anything he hadn't done. Right here, he opens his whole book by saying, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, I am a slave of a man who became a slave. I'm a slave of a crucified slave. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So let me ask you again. Have you died to yourself? Have you gotten over yourself? People come to church for a long time, never do that. You mean, Pastor, you mean you want me to sacrifice my well-being for the well-being of others? You want me to sacrifice all I want, all I want to accumulate, all my stuff, so I can bless people I don't know, people I don't even like? You mean you want me to do that? Is that that what he's saying? You mean I'm going to go to the back of the line so somebody else can go to the front of the line and cheer for them to get it, cheer for them to win, cheer for them to make it happen? You mean I'm going to do that? You mean I'm going to put my wants and my needs and my interests aside so somebody else can? And Jesus says, I'm asking you to take up your cross and die to your self-focus all about me and become a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ in his kingdom. And when you do that, you get exalted with a crown that will not be tarnished forever and ever and ever and ever in eternity. Not on this earth but in eternity. I know people have been to church for years and they've never done this. They've heard tons of messages. So I'm asking right now, how's that ladder climbing working for you? Has that new house, has it satisfied you happily ever after? Has that new job, has that new salary, has that retirement, has that health plan, has that marriage, has that kid, has that new relationship, has it really made you happily ever after? Has it? I'm going to make you a promise. I'm just going to tell you right now, straight up, if you need to keep on climbing the ladder and playing the culture game and being like everybody else in this world, you just keep on. Just keep doing it till you get it out of your system. But one day you're going to figure out, you're going to come to a place in your life where you realize it's never going to satisfy you. Never. It's only when you humble yourself and you die to self and let Jesus Christ be the Lord of your life. And you become a servant of all. That you know joy. So I want to give you a moment here. I know the time. I just want to give you a moment to kind of wrestle with this online in the house. Just kind of wrestle with this question. Have I, have, I done, have I died to myself? Am I just trying to use my life to build me up and for my own honor, my own ad- advantage? Am I, have I died to self? Just wrestle with that for a second. 
And maybe as a follower of Jesus, you think, you know what, I think I've really done that. I think I have. Now you're going, mm, have I? So maybe your prayer is, God, I, I, I think I kind of have God, but I ask you to search me, God, and show me. Maybe in my finances, maybe in the way I view my body, in the way I think about other people, God. Maybe, maybe there's somewhere in my, my time, the way I manage my time, God, the way I hang on to stuff that I, I, I've not died to myself, God. There's a place that I have not died, God. Would you show it to me? Maybe that's your prayer. God, would you show it to me? And then give me the power, God, to humble myself. And just die to that. Or maybe you're someone, you just really resisted this whole conversation because you're kind of stuck on you. You kind of like you. <laughs> and you kind of like being in control. But you're beginning to question And today, for the very first time, right now, you, you would say, or maybe in the middle of the week, I, God, I just want you to come into my life, and I want to be like Jesus. I want to humble myself. I want to know that joy, that secret of joy, of being used to bless others. Not bless me, God, but to use me to bless others. So I just give my life to you. You can do that anytime, anywhere. doesn't have to be a church. God, we thank you for your great love for us and for your example of Jesus on the cross. For the possibilities, God, for our life, so much more than what we ever dreamed or imagined, not just in heaven, but here on this earth. And we pray, God, that you would use us. That Pathway Church will be the happiest place on earth <laughs> because of what we know about you and your son, Jesus. So, God, we love you, we praise you. And your joy is our strength. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen and amen. If you're a guest, I'd love to meet you. It's time to move on. Rejoice!